Well, good morning. Hey, today, before we get started, I want to take just a minute uh, to mention something, to acknowledge something, so we can just kind of get it out of the way and then get on to what's really important, and that is looking at God's eternal word. Uh, I did want to mention that this week on Tuesday, I got braces on my teeth, and I'm learning to talk and eat. I feel like I've got these dragon teeth. And um, so I just didn't, I just wanted to acknowledge that because some of you might be going, did he get a grill or, you know, what, what's going on with that? So that's what's going on with that. And quite frankly, I'm a little self-conscious about it. I, I'm getting better. But uh, this week, some of my friends in trying to encourage me, uh, knowing that I was self-conscious, trying to help kind of bolster my spirits, um, did visual ways to encourage me. These are some actual texts that I received this week. That's supposed to encourage me, but it got better. There's that, which is, which is nice. And uh, of course, there, there's that one. They even sent me a picture of the devil. All right, so, so uh, there it is. It's out there. I know, I've heard it all. Pastor Bray's face, Reverend Railroad Tracks. I, I'm getting used to all that. Uh, I sent a picture of my mouth to my mom, and she texted back one word, yikes. Thanks, mom. The good thing is my wife is supportive. I mean, she said, because I was really like self-conscious. She's like, Bob, you know, when you're just talking normal, I can't even see them. Now, she had taken her contacts out, and she was 100 feet away, and it was night. But other than that, she's you know, like trying to be uh, on, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. We were running some errands. This one's true. We were running some errands. Not that the others aren't. They all are, except the <laughs> contact deal. And we had some light bulbs that went out, and we were going, and she said, well, we need to get light bulbs. And I said, yeah, 60 watt. And she said, what? I said, 60 watt. And she said, what? And I was frustrated. I was like, 60 watt. And then she got a little smile. She's just making fun of me because S's are hard for me now. And here's the downside, that Jesus has two S's in it. So I was thinking about doing a series on the sanctity of sex. Took the Song of Solomon out of chapter 6, verse 16. All right. Now, hopefully, hopefully it won't be that bad. But um, for those of you in the front here, we have ponchos because there's spit <laughs> flying out of my mouth constantly. Those of you in Boca Raton and Skagit watching online, gratefully, there's a screen that separates you from the spit zone that we've got it going on here. So anyway, you have shown me incredible grace for 30 years. I'm asking, hopefully for one year, to show me a little more grace. So that's behind us. Let's get on. I am so glad that you're here today. And if you're a person that says, you know, I, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I'm not sure what I believe on this stuff. I don't, I don't know about the whole Bible thing. I'm especially glad that you are here today or watching uh, online or, or in uh, Skagit or Boca. Because today what we're going to see is something about this one named Jesus. And we're going to see why we just believe he is the best why we worship him, why we dedicate our life to him, why we love him, why we surrender to him. And if you are a Christian, it'll be a great reminder of how Jesus is so incredibly good to see the heart of the Father and also his desire for his followers. Now last week we started this very short series and looking at how Jesus can, can clarify and simplify some things down to kind of like, this is, this is I can understand this. And there's these two words that he says over and over again in the New Testament, the, the two words, follow me. And as we looked at last week, that with, with the apostle uh, Peter, 
the very first recorded conversation that he has with him and the very last recorded conversation that he has with, with him, he says these words. In John, it says this. And then he said to him, follow me. Very, very simple, but not simplistic. Very simple. And as I mentioned last week, my goal and my prayer for not only this series, but this sermon can really be capsulized in, in a way of, of what Jesus was getting at, what I hope that we can take away from it. And, and it's seen in a song, and I've asked uh, Ron Pye, our worship director, if he would come in and sing a part of this song. It's like a hymn. It's, it's like a proclamation. It's a declaration. In fact, it's even a prayer. And so for just a, a 30 seconds, a minute, I, I, want you, I don't want you to sing along. You can close your eyes if you want. I want Ron to just kind of sing this over us as a declaration and as a prayer. Uh, Ron, did you do that? No, who we do? I want to be like you. I want to walk like you and talk like you too. Mm -hmm. You know it's true. Someone like me can learn to be like someone like you. You know it's true. Someone like me can learn to be like someone like you. Amen. Amen. Now, now, if you weren't with us last week, you'd be going, wait, 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 what? Watch last week. What an incredible prayer to say, I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. I want to talk like you. Someone like me can be like someone like you. And so Jesus would invite people. He would he'd say, follow me, follow me. And when he says, follow me, it's not this commandment like, follow me, young man. But it's this invitation. It's this, this invitation to, to live and to become. To live this, to, with our minds and our hearts and our wills, to, to come alive in Jesus Christ and to become like him, to be, to be learning from him, to be transformed into an image that is a, a better reflection of him. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in Greece, he writes them a letter, and in that letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, and we who with unveiled faces, we, we've had our eyes open, we see this truth, we all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And the truth is this, that we were created in the image of God, and we are called to be image bearers of God. That yes, we are indelibly stamped with the image of God, with the soul, with the thumbprint of God in our lives. But it's this recreation of who we are to reflect who Jesus is and to bear his image in the world in which we live at this point. Uh, recently, I was reading a book by a man named uh, Bruxy uh, Cavey, I think is his last name. I was just like, thought the first name Bruxy was cool. I'd never heard that name before, Bruxy. The name of the book was uh, Reunion, The Good News of Jesus for Seekers, Saints, and Sinners. See, there are a lot of S's there. That's a difficult one for me. But in this book, early on, he makes reference to Othello, not the Shakespearean tragedy Othello, and not the Eastern Washington town Othello, but to the game Othello, which I've never played before, but it's a game apparently. And Othello, this game, has a subline that says this, a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. Like from the very beginning, you can play this, you can get in the game, you can do this, 
but it's going to take the rest of your life to get really, really good at it. And he talks about, and I, and I love this, that this is what it means to follow Jesus. From the very beginning, it's the simplest thing. A child can do it. Someone who knows nothing of the Bible can do it. Someone who has a bad background can do it. Someone who's you know, walked in a, in a way that's upstanding can do it. Every one of us can start this immediately. He would call people like, like Peter and a child and this widow and, and these people to come follow him. But it takes an entire life to continue to grow. What's my next step? No matter, this way I live, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you can start following Jesus, and for the rest of your life, you can keep taking new steps in following him more and being transformed into his likeness. A minute, a lifetime. And Jesus would say, come follow me. And as he would do this, this, this invitation to follow him, it, it was this invitation to something amazing. Many of you, no doubt, are familiar with the Netflix sensation of this last year called uh, Stranger Things. Uh, Jesus, for 2,000 years has been inviting people not into stranger things. Jesus invites us into greater things. Greater things, this life that is truly satisfying, this life that is truly significant, this life that is really the life that we've always wanted, maybe didn't even realize that. And as we saw last week, when he calls Peter, he says, you know, you've been a fisherman, which is fine, but I want to give you a life that is a fisher of men. I want to take you to a new level of significance. And it's not just a vocational upgrade. As he calls people to follow him, he's calling them to greater things, this, this, this opportunity to discover and experience the indescribable goodness of God. Not to just know this, but to, to experience it, to have a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father who has nothing but love for us. And this, this remarkable opportunity to be able to be a part of this kingdom that he is starting here and now. Oh, and by the way, eternity throw, thrown in. It's no wonder that unapologetically, Jesus would, would invite people to leave everything, to sell all they have, to walk away from their businesses, to walk away from that lifestyle, to leave that relationship, to follow him, because whatever they would give up, they would gain so much more. He would call them to greater things, to a better life, to the satisfying life, to a significant life, to a fulfilling life. And he would just say, come follow me. And so today I want us to look at another one of these instances where he invites someone to follow him. Today we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, if you want to turn there. And what I love about this, the book of Matthew, is uh, the authorship is attributed to Matthew. That's how it gets its name. Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, raised in a Jewish home. In fact, uh, in other books he's referred to as Levi, son of Alphaeus, uh, but this Jewish, Jewish young man. And somewhere between his Jewish upbringing and his years with Jesus, there was this season that he kind of strayed off. And the, the story we're going to look at today is where Matthew records how Jesus invited someone to follow him, and it changed his life. And what's so beautiful about this story is that it's Matthew's story. It's autobiographical. He's saying, this is my story. This is what happened to me. So in, in Matthew chapter 9... It's early on in Jesus' ministry. He's got some of his disciples, but not all 12 of them yet. And one day, they've come across the Sea of Galilee to an area named Capernaum, very close to the area where, what we were looking at last week, where Peter and Andrew and James and John were from, that northern, uh, northwestern corner of, of the Sea of Galilee. They're at Capernaum, and they leave there, and they, they come upon this guy, Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, this isn't very deep, but he's sitting at the tax collector's booth because he's a... You guys are biblical wizards. He is a tax collector. Now, we've heard this, we've read this, and we're not real excited about taxes in our world either. But we can't even understand the visceral loathing that people had towards tax collectors. It wasn't just, oh, April 15th type of deal. They, there was a hatred. There was this physical disgust with tax collectors for multiple reasons. One was for a national reason. They, they were seen as traitors. Because here were these Jewish people that were collecting taxes from their own people and sending them to Rome. Rome was taxing them. Rome's 1,500 miles away, and they're taking their money and sending it off to Rome, and they would hire locals to collect these taxes. So it feels like these guys, while they're of the, the nation of Israel, they've, they're sleeping with the enemy. They're siding with Rome, and so they're seen as traitors, and so there's just nationally this, like, who are you? You're not one of us. And on top of that, there was this deal where these tax collectors were given the freedom to add a little bit of extra tax on there and pocket that. Tax collectors were very, very wealthy, and they would skim off their own countrymen. So there was a personal slight, like, you've stolen from me. You're, you're not only a traitor, you're into racketeering. You, you, you are a cheat. And, and there was a spiritual level because the, their practice was completely immoral. They would go against the Ten Commandments. And so when a tax collector was there, there was just, we don't even understand the, just the absolute disgust of, oh, you, you, that you would even be on the face of this planet just is, is appalling to us. And Jesus could have walked right past, could have ignored him. I'm sure that most people tried to. But when Jesus sees this man, Matthew, he says two words to him. Guesses? Follow me. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and did, and did. He followed him. Now you can imagine some of Jesus' disciples, this isn't written in Scripture, but you can just put this together. They're going, no. Why, Jesus? No, not him. I mean, yeah, us, yeah, I know, we're not perfect, but he's a tax collector. Don't, don't invite him to be on our team. We don't want to sit by him. We don't want to associate with him. We don't want him here. Keep in mind, this is just outside of Capernaum. There's a very good chance that Peter, Andrew, James, and John had had to give some of their hard-earned money to this man many, many times over the last few years. They may have felt like, man, the house that he lives on, we financed with our fishing business. He has ripped us off time and time again, and now Jesus is including him. Jesus is calling him. You can, you can imagine that even some of the disciples are going, I don't think so, Jesus. Bad choice. Now, we don't know how much time elapsed between verse 9 and verse 10. It could have been a few hours. It could have been a few days. It could have been a few weeks. We don't know. Matthew jumps to the next scene, verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, in quotations, came and ate with him and his disciples. So not only is he invited to follow, now they're hanging out at his house. Now, remember, Matthew is this tax collector He's absolutely abhorred by his friends or his, his countrymen, his family. I mean, people, they don't want to be around. He doesn't have a lot of friends outside of the tax collecting uh, you know, group. I mean, you can imagine even his mom is probably like, Matthew, 
Your father and I raised you in a good Jewish home, and what happened to you? You ought to be embarrassed. You're ashamed of yourself. I mean, she's probably saying, Matthew, you're, you're, you've, you've put a bad reputation on our name. But he does have these tax collector friends, because they don't have any other friends. No one else likes them. And now there's many of them gathered around, not just Matthew. Now there's a bunch of them, maybe a, a tax collector's union or, or, or brotherhood, some kind of fraternity, and some sinners, quote unquote, which is kind of interesting. It's like sinners, you'd think that would kind of capsulize it all, but tax collectors are so bad, they get a category all their own. Now, we're all sinners, but at least we're not tax collectors. And they're all there with Jesus and his disciples, and they're all eating. Here's what's amazing to me. This is the beauty of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. That here are these individuals who, you know, nationally, personally, spiritually, morally, are completely against everything that Jesus is. The exact opposite. And yet Jesus is comfortable to be with them. And the thing that's even more telling is that they seem to be very comfortable being around Jesus. There was something about Jesus that even people who are so far from God said, you know, I like being with this guy. I mean, that's worth just kind of contemplating of how do we live things out as followers of Jesus? So he's having dinner with all these people that are breaking the Ten Commandments, not going to the synagogue, don't go to the temple, not following the laws of Moses. And it's not like a secret, and it's not under the cover of night, and it doesn't go unnoticed. Verse 12. When the Pharisees saw this, because they did, they were always watching Jesus like a hawk, just trying to find some angle, trying to find him to slip up, something they could get him. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. Interesting, they, they talked to his disciples, not to him. And, and I thought, well, you know, why is that? First of all, human nature. It's a whole lot easier to talk about somebody than to talk to them. We all know that. Maybe it's because they've already had some of these encounters with Jesus, and every time they try to corner him, he just puts it back, and they always lose, so let's go with the underlings. Let's talk with the disciples instead of Jesus. Or maybe, maybe they're trying to erode some of the trust that his disciples have. Maybe they're trying to turn some of his disciples on him. Maybe they're trying to help them see that, hey, this guy that you're following, maybe shouldn't, you shouldn't be following him. And they ask his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, why does he do that? I mean, he, he's a rabbi. He follows the laws of Moses. He goes to the synagogue regularly. He goes to the temple annually. He does all the things we do. But in their mind, to be close to God necessitated that you be far away from those who were not close to God. That there would be a separation, there would be a distance, there would be a, an exclusion. That's what it meant to be close to God. And yet with Jesus, it almost seems like there's, to be close to God necessitates that you're closest to those who need him most. Why would he do that? Why would he eat with them? Now, here's one of those things where I don't know the answer to this. They're talking to his disciples, but Jesus hears it. You know, he says, on hearing this. So <laughs> you wonder, are they just saying this loud enough because they want to be overheard? They want to kind of agitate him without really confronting him? They, they say it, you know, hey, why does your teacher, your master, your Lord, your rabbi eat? Well, is he doing that? Or does he hear, and this, again, forgive me on this one, because he's Jesus and 
like, you know, he's got that do-do-do-do-do-do. And he can hear conversations that are going on, you know, a little miracle ear or whatever going on. You can hear stuff a mile away. I, I don't know. Somehow he hears them and he responds to them. And this is a, a big question mark too. Because here's Matthew and all of his buddies. Here's the disciples. Here's these Pharisees. Pharisees aren't invited to the party. Somehow there's these conversations going on. Somehow Jesus hears. And somehow Jesus responds, most likely out loud. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, does he say that in front of Matthew and his buddies? Because here's Matthew and his friends saying, we like this guy. He's different than the Pharisees. He's different than the other rabbis. He's different than the other religious leaders. We like him. And we like how he texts it to the Pharisees. And yeah, you go get him. Wait a second, Jesus. You're talking about sick and healthy. And I'm thinking you're talking about them out there being healthy and us in here being sick. And you just wonder if Matthew says, hey, Jesus, hold on a second. You're in my house at my table with my friends, and you're calling us sick? Am I getting this right? I can imagine Jesus, now this isn't biblical at all, but I can imagine Jesus saying, Matthew, you're a tax collector, dude. It's like, oh yeah, we're sick, aren't we? Okay, cool, back to the party we go. But he says to these Pharisees, listen, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he says this, but go and learn. And just that phrase, that was a shot. Because all they ever did was learn. All they ever did was study. They had memorized the Old Testament. They knew it all. And he says, well, there's some things you still need to learn. You think you know a lot. Go and learn what this means. And this phrase, I think, I think has multiple layers to it. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, just on the surface level, there's a great thing for them. You know, you guys have all your rules, you have all the laws, you have all the scriptures memorized, you're doing all that, but you've missed mercy. And maybe there's something more important than all the sacrifices you make, and it's having mercy for people like this. But I think there's some deeper layers as well. Because this phrase that Jesus quotes comes out of the prophet out of the book Hosea. And they would have known that. They had it memorized. And the whole story of Hosea, the whole book, is this illustration of our Heavenly Father's mercy on His people who have strayed. In fact, the whole story of Hosea and his wife Gomer, which you should never marry a woman named Gomer, is a living illustration of a spiritual reality. Because Gomer has been immoral. She's been unfaithful. She's broken the vow, and Hosea redeems her and brings her back. And the whole story is, that's what our Heavenly Father does for, for His broken people. Even when we stray, even when we wander, even when we break the vow, even when we're unfaithful, it's God who comes seeking us. It's God who redeems us. It's God who shows mercy. And maybe he's saying, you know the story of Hosea, you guys. That's the heart of our Father. It's a merciful heart. You've got all your sacrifices, but you've missed the heart behind it all. And maybe on a deeper level, he's saying, in this circumstance... Pharisees, 
you're Gomer. You're the ones that have strayed. And maybe on an even deeper level, because he not only quotes Hosea, he quotes Hosea 6, chapter 6. And that whole chapter is about the unfaithful, unrepentant heart of Israel and how Israel's love is like the morning mist and it has disappeared. And maybe they know he's talking Hosea 6. We know what that chapter's about. And maybe Jesus is saying, the love of your heart has disappeared like morning mist. He says, go and figure out what this means. Learn this one. Our Heavenly Father said this. He demonstrates it. He models it even for these people that I'm having dinner with. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, Matthew includes this story because it's his story. And it's an amazing story. Jesus had taken this immoral, cheat, racketeering a traitor named Matthew with two words said, follow me. And Matthew did follow him. And he experienced life and a transformation. He became what is referred to today as Saint Matthew. He was a tax collector. He becomes a saint. In fact, in some realms of the Catholic church, just a few days ago on September 21st is when the feast of Saint Matthew is celebrated. There's this life transformation because of two words, follow me. What a beautiful story. But for us today, and that's, that really is an amazing thing. There's so much for us to learn from that. But I think there's another story under the story as well. Something that maybe we don't pick up on, or at least we don't acknowledge, or we never recognized before. Because while I believe that Jesus calls Matthew and he invites all of his tax collector friends and the sinners that are all dinner, he wants them all to be a part of this, I think there's something else going on at the same time. Back up in the story to verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now we know at this point, at least Peter and Andrew, James and John are with him. They're walking with him. He's invited them, follow me, learn from me, watch me, walk like me, talk like me. Someone like you can be like someone like me. And maybe while he's there focused on Matthew and his friends, he also has a second thing going on because these disciples are watching and they're observing and they're learning from the example of Jesus. How to interact. What is the heart of the Father for people who are far from him? What is the heart of the followers of Jesus for people who are not yet followers? See, in in, in um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has this little line that he repeats, this little repeated refrain. You have heard it said, but I tell you. You know, you've heard it said, and there's a law. He says, but I tell you, and he just raises the bar. He says, yeah, th this is what you've heard, this is what you know, this is what you've memorized, but I'm saying I'm calling you to a higher level. And I think without saying it, what he's demonstrating, what he's mod modeling to his disciples is, you have seen it displayed, but I show you. You've seen that the Pharisees, they exclude those who are far from God. You've seen that the religious leaders, they don't want to have anything to do with people who have broken the law. You've seen that the teachers of the law, they, 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 they kick those folks out of the temple, the tabernacle, the, the, the uh, synagogues. But I show you a different way. 
You've seen that the closer you are to God, the farther you should be from those who are far from God. I show you that the closer you are to God, that necessitates that you're closer to those who are far from God. And maybe what he's really doing, besides Matthew, and, and I think Matthew and his friends are very much his focus, but he's saying, I want you guys to observe this. This isn't just something I do. This is who we are. This is the heart of our Father. This is how we're to live. And he needed them to see that because they were to follow him, to walk like him, to talk like him, to be like him. So in this interaction, and the interaction with, with Matthew is not an isolated case. In fact, I want to show you two, at least two others that Jesus does this over and over again. And beside the fact that he had come to seek and save that which is lost, that he came to call sinners, he's also trying to reiterate to his disciples, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I think there's three key lessons, not only for his followers, but for us. And so the remainder of our time, I just want to, and I want to look at a couple other instances, three key lessons for us as followers of Jesus, what does it mean to walk like him, talk like him, be more like him in this kind of situation? The first one is this, is that with Jesus, you see it over and over again, there's an intentional engagement, very intentional engagement. With Matthew, you know, he, he could have walked right past, but he doesn't. He stops. He invites him to be a part of it, and he engages with Matthew. He goes to his house. He has dinner with Matthew. He spends time with Matthew. There's another uh, instance that happens in John chapter 4 where Jesus is going from Judea up to Galilee. And as he's going, uh, there's a separation there. And in the middle is an area called Samaria. John chapter 4 says this. Now he had to go through Samaria. And looking at a map, you would just say, well, of course he did. He's in the south, he's going to the north, and Samaria's in the middle. He had to go through there. Kind of like you'd say... I had to go through Glacier to get to the Mount Baker ski area. There's one road up there. I have to go through that. I had to. I had to go through New Halem to get to Ross Dam. There's just one road that goes there, and I have to do that. I had to go through Samaria to get up to Galilee. That's not the case. In fact, Jewish people would never go through Samaria. The Samaritans were kind of like tax collectors. They were hated. They were these half-breed dogs that, 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 that... the, the, the Jewish people absolutely could not stand. And in order to go to the north, they would go out of their way across the Jordan River over to the east side through the Decapolis and then back up and around. It was a longer route, but no Jewish person would ever go through Samaria. So why is it that Jesus had to? It wasn't because his GPS said this is the only route. Roads washed out this way. There's some other intentionality, some other reason, some other had to. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Our translation, it was about noon. While he's tired, he sits down at this well. He sends his disciples into Sychar to get lunch. Midday, go get some lunch, go get some food. While he's sitting there by himself, no disciples, sitting there by the well, verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now this seems really simple. Not that big of a deal. But you read the whole thing, do it on your own. She's absolutely shocked 
that he would talk to her. Culturally, she's a woman, he's a man. Nationally, she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. Spiritually, he's a rabbi, she's got a pretty bad past. She's absolutely shocked that he would engage with her. Even just a simple conversation. And he does. He just starts off on just a normal conversation. And when the disciples come back with the lunch, they're shocked as well. They start whispering amongst themselves, you know, what's Jesus doing? But no one says anything. You know, why is he talking to this woman? And again, while Jesus cares for this woman, he's also sending this message to his followers. This is what it's like. This is how we live. This is the heart of the Father. This is what it means to walk like me and talk like me. It's to break social norms because there's something more important. And he intentionally engages with her. There's another time when Jesus and his disciples are down at Jericho. And as they go enter into Jericho, some of you are very familiar with this story. Some of you will have a song in your head about this one. They enter Jericho and was passing through. A man there was there by the name of Zacchaeus. So I'm going, oh, I know this song. He was a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector. He's like bad on steroids. He's like the batter of the baddest. All right, to the bone. All right, junkyard dog here. He's a chief tax collector, and he is wealthy because he's ripped everybody off. Many of you know this story. He's vertically challenged. He runs ahead, gets up in a tree, wants to see this Jesus. Jesus is walking into Jericho. There's other people, kind of a parade, and it says this. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus could have kept going, could have acted like he didn't even see this guy up in a tree. There's a lot of people. He could have just ignored him completely, but he stops, he intentionally stops, he intentionally looks at him, and he engages with him. This is the one man in the whole crowd that people would least expect Jesus to engage with, because he's the chief tax collector. And he says, and I must go to your house. See, in this intentional engagement with Jesus, it wasn't just a flyby, hey, here's a track. In all three of these instances, he invests time. Matthew goes to his house, has a meal with him. The woman at the well, he and his disciples end up spending two days in Sychar, in that town. And now, he says, Zacchaeus, I want to spend some time with you. And what he keeps telling and showing his disciples is, this is what it means. This is the heart of the Father. We intentionally engage. Now, here's the other thing about that. It's really the second lesson for his disciples and for us, is that when he would intentionally engage with his people, he would engage as a friend, not a project. These were friends, not projects. People can always tell when they're being targeted. You can tell when someone comes up to you and they're just like way more friendly than they should be. You've never met them before and they're in the, in the, in the mall, they're at the entrance of Costco. They're just real excited about your life. You know, you're a project, you're just a sale. You, you know what that's like. Jesus never approached anyone like a project. In fact, Jesus was given this moniker that was an accusation, it was actually a put-down, that the, the religious leaders would say about Jesus, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus was like, yep, guilty as charged, that's me. They're my friends. They're not projects. 
Right, think about this. Let's go back to Zacchaeus. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and, look at this, welcomed him gladly. We need to hear those words. Welcomed him gladly. Because sometimes when, here comes the Christians, they avoid us quickly. <laughs> instead of welcoming us gladly. You know about this as well. Here they come. They're coming up your walkway. They've got tracks in hand. Quick, everybody, turn off lights. Be real quiet. Hide behind the couch. Pretend like we're not home. <laughs> what was it about Jesus where he says, yeah, they welcomed him gladly. It's because they weren't a project. They're friends. You see, Pastor Bill just told us about this, that this fall, we had this kind of this church-wide initiative. We just want to nudge us all in this direction. It's called Engage. It's this very thing that we're talking about. It's intentionally engaging with people, not as projects, but as friends. And we, we even thought about having a little byline with, with some extra letters like DBW. You may be wondering, well, what is DBW? And I could, you know, let you figure that out. It could be Doreen's Bob's wife, which is true, but that's not what it means. Some of you are going, designer boot warehouse. It's not what it means. Rocket man might say, dotard beware. It's not what it means. DBW for us in this engage for this fall means this. Don't be weird. Because Christians, we can be so weird at times. Am I right? And for those of you who've been approached by weird Christians, I'm sorry, we are weird sometimes. We try to push the issue. We try to make everything so spiritual. We, we, we try to, you know, make it like, like just, whoa, 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 relax. Don't be weird. As Jesus intentionally engaged with friends, he's never weird. He just isn't. And maybe that's something we could learn from him. Don't be so weird, Christians. Just be friends. Be friends. See, Jesus engaged intentionally with friends. And underneath all of it was a motive. He was compelled by love. This is the why behind the what. This is why he intentionally engaged with Matthew, with Zacchaeus, with the, the woman at the well. This is why he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, because he loved people. He loved them. He believed in them. He saw potential in them. He encouraged them. He gave them respect and dignity. He invited them to an even greater life. He just loved them. And for three years with his disciples, he keeps trying to get into their minds, listen, this is what it's all about. There's a, uh, one more story and then we'll be done here. There's a story that to me is, is absolutely hilarious because it's such a reflection on Christianity, Christianity and me. So this is after like Peter, James, and John, the inner three. They've been walking with Jesus for three years now. This is at the end of his ministry He's been training them, discipling them, modeling them for them, teaching them, showing them what it means to follow him. They are again going through Samaria. See, this is, Jesus was one of the few that would do this. This time they're going from Galilee back down to Jerusalem. They're going through Samaria. This is a very intentional act on Jesus' part. 
He's got some friends in there. He's established some friendships. And this time, as they're going through Samaria, he sends some of his disciples ahead to make preparations. And this town, this little village that they're coming to, find out that he's going to Jerusalem. Remember, there's a great deal of animosity between these two groups. When they find out he's going to Jerusalem, they say, we don't want to have anything. He's not welcome here. Here's what I think is so funny. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> yeah, I can just imagine these disciples, we got power, let's do this. You know, let's, let's go ahead and take them out. It's no wonder Jesus referred to these brothers as the sons of thunder. Look at them. They're, they're trying to call down fire. Do you know how often in Christianity throughout human history, this has been our response? You don't love Jesus? Boom! Do you know how many times in my life there are things that happen when I just wish I had the power to call down fire? Has it ever happened to you on the highway? <laughs> Where you just think, boy, if I had all the power. This happened to me Friday night. My wife and I are out on a ride on our motorcycle doing about 40 in a 35 zone. I know, breaking the law, but we weren't exceeding it greatly. I'm trying to justify right now. And as we're doing just over the speed limit, this car just comes flying around. It's just this boat, and it's a double yellow line. He's passing where he shouldn't, and it's like, whoa, 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 sorry you're so impatient. And inside there was a part of me that's just like, oh, I wish he'd blow a tire right now. I wish he'd just go careening into the ditch so I could go and help him, of course. It's a, <laughs> but I just like, I, I'm just like the sons of thunder. Lord, shall we call down fire on him? And Jesus is like, 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 whoa, 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 no. And he rebukes them. This, this is three years after falling. They're supposed to be graduating. They went to another village. Jesus says, no, no, no. Just let it go. There's other villages. We'll go. You remember this line when Jesus said this? My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends, not calling down fire, loving them, serving them, sacrificing for them, caring for them, compassion, sharing, praying. That's what it means. And when I look at this, and I look at all these stories throughout, and I look at what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, I recognize he's trying to help me understand as well trying to help us understand that to be a follower of Jesus, to walk like him, to talk like him, to be like him, is that we would understand the heart of the Father and that as followers we would have that same heart to intentionally engage with friends, not projects, motivated by love. So you just got to ask, will we follow well, we follow Jesus in this because we've been created in his image. He says, I want you to bear my image in this world to do what I would do. And that high priestly prayer, the night before he's crucified, he prays, Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Sent them into the world to glorify God, to follow Jesus, to intentionally engage with friends motivated by love. So my question is, who's that Matthew in your life?
Who's the Zacchaeus in your life? Who's the Samaritan woman in your life? And to engage, to pray, God help me to follow Jesus and to treat them the way that he would. I've asked Ron and the team to to close us with a song that Ron Ron wrote that that really just fits with this whole thing. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing this together, and then I'll close us in prayer.